Welcome to Let's Talk KBG. I'm Marla Slavin, and I'm here today with Annette Mon. And we are going to talk about our experiences and our feelings about finding out when our boys were diagnosed. We have lots of things to share and hope that you will find them to be very helpful and that there's some insight as to how do you deal with now having a diagnosis? Uh, Jordan was diagnosed when he was 13 years old and it was the best day of my life with getting this diagnosis, which sounds really funny because who wants to get a diagnosis? But in reality, that diagnosis made me feel, one, I'm not crazy, and two, Jordan will be okay. We just need to figure out how we're going to treat him. Now, Annette has a little bit of a different story, and then we're going to talk about how we dealt with what we learned. For nine years, we dealt with just seizure, and that was it, right? It was just trying to figure out what was going on with those with the seizures. We didn't look at anything else. So he had like three or three microarrays specifically looking at epilepsy genes, you know, any gene that could be potentially a reason for the seizures were fine, completely typical. So one thing after another was just normal, normal, normal. Yet here's this neurotypical kid, no longer neurotypical. He's neurodivergent and nobody could tell us why. So when we finally got to the point where whole exome sequencing was offered to us, he was 11 years old. And it took us eight months. Yeah. Eight months to get the test results back. Yeah. ours took six months. Yeah. And then when they said KBG syndrome, because Glenn and I are sitting in this car and the geneticist says, um, it's really rare. And so we ran it three times because we couldn't believe that no one had found it before. And it's not a typical mutation, but we did find something. So when he blurts out, it's KBG syndrome. I remember we were on mute and I turned to Glenn. I looked at him and I'm like, I was like, I've never heard of it either. And then Glenn was going to be a doctor. So he had done some of the medical training. So he was expecting something like really non-specific, but well-known thing, right? Oh, not the Soviet spy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and KBG syndrome. And then the first thing Glenn said was, so is to the doctor, to the doctor. So is this like a dyslexic Russian spy thing? And the doctor goes, no. <laughs> like what kind of question is that and how silly can you be yeah but for us it was that aha moment that this is nine years of saying why did our son suddenly develop epilepsy but then we looked into kbg syndrome um as we're sitting in the car so one of us is on the phone the other one's googling it and then the geneticist says it still doesn't explain his seizures Talk about 
disappointment. But I was talking to a friend of mine who had a diagnosis for her daughter pretty early on. I think her daughter was two when she was diagnosed. And she said, getting a diagnosis is like this. It's like, yay, a diagnosis. That's awesome. Yay. And then wait, oh crap. That really sucks. But I mean, yay, a diagnosis, right? So it's all those same emotions of, I have an answer. No, wait, it's not really an answer because there's no research into it. There's no support organization for it. There is no family group for it. What, what does it do for me? Well, that's funny because when they told me, first I started to cry and then I started laughing. And laughing was not out of being scared, not out of being nervous, but I was laughing because I was crying even though that's what I was looking for. Like I wanted them to find something because every year, every six months, every year and a half, there was always something new going on. And we had been looking for something since Jordan was a year, was a year old. Even though we saw signs in the beginning um, of his life, we still didn't know anything. So individually, each one of the things that he experienced and that we were dealing with were all normal but not in one child. And that was my excitement in that diagnosis. Even though I cried and then I laughed and then I knew just as much as the geneticist when we went there. So like, what was the point then of even getting a diagnosis? What was I gonna do with this diagnosis when I couldn't find anything? It was almost like it didn't exist except on paper with five pictures. That was it. Nobody had done anything. Here it is, you know, 2014. And everything that's out there is, is years old. And nobody's touched it. It felt like in all those years. And, there, and in my head, I'm like, there's got to be more kids out there than this. And I did my Googling just like you did, did all my research to find out that there's nothing out there. So my excitement was our connection and the way we formed our connection into starting this and knowing that I am not alone. If I find nobody else in the world, there's one person that is experiencing KBG differently, but we have the same diagnosis. And that alone was a huge comfort. It still is, but now I'm more excited that I'm dealing with it with 500 other people, 600 other people. Right. So we would go to the eye doctor and she would flip through some book that was all photos trying to figure out what Jordan looked like because he had such distinct markings, so to speak. And she was convinced that she was going to find it. This is the eye doctor. And it's not like she knew. Everybody knew, but nobody knew a thing. Yeah. Yep. They didn't know. And even now, now they know. And you know what? They still don't know very much, which makes our community that much more important. We all need each other. We are all looking for the same thing. Yeah. Yep. And where do you go 
where do you, how do you even know what doctors to go to yeah, that or was, whatever? That was the big thing about KBG syndrome of get back, getting that diagnosis, right? Is what do we do with it now? Right. Well, now people get diagnosed, they can Google it and they find us, they find support group, they find almost 600 other people that say, oh my gosh, yes, my kid does that. So recently in the group, when somebody asked if their kid, if their child um, sucked on their t-shirt, I had totally forgotten that bug did that. Is it sent? And, and I always just thought, okay, that's just a little kid thing. Maybe he's teething, whatever. Right. Right. But now is it a sensory seeking thing? Now it's one of those, Hmm, let me think about that. Let's see if that's a KBG thing. And does that point to something? So that's the bad part though, too, about it is right. You're overanalyzing what's KBG and what isn't. So that's a big problem too. Right. The, uh, the problem of when you go to a doctor and you have a diagnosis, now they put everything into that diagnosis. Right. right so, whether it belongs there or not. Exactly. Well, it's, is, is that a KBG thing? Well, I, I don't know. You tell me, <laughs> is it a KBG right. thing? If nobody knows, let's call it a KBG thing, but let's still treat it. So let's, let's forget whether or not it's a KBG thing and, and it's an ANCARE D11 mutation thing. And let's just treat it the best we know how, because until we get a comprehensive treatment for KBG syndrome, we have to treat the symptom. So it's well, okay to think, focus on the symptom and treat that how we, we normally would treat it and see if it works. Well, and I think that's our advantage of our kids being a little bit older is we didn't know. So there was no label to be put. So anything that happened, we treated, we saw our kids as our kids. And this is the problem that they had at the moment. So you work on that problem. I mean, when I go down the checklist now, I laugh, even though I thought it was amusing before, now I find it to be funnier. It's like, it's almost a checklist of all the things that they know about KBG, Jordan experienced, yeah. or I thought about, or we tested for because of whatever, you know, we could find. Um, and I think people lose sight of that as well, because it's so easy once you have that diagnosis to count on the doctors to, to know and to guide. And we forget that we need to look at our child, right? You know, it, it's okay. The behaviors and all of us, I mean, it's a spectrum. So no, you're not going to have everything that your other person on there knows, or it'll be like somebody posts something and you start thinking, does my kid do that? Has my kid ever done that? Is that what my kid's going to do? Who knows? But when you see it, you'll remember that somebody else posted yeah. about it. So you can either search it or you can ask about it and just know that you're not the first. This is, this is one thing that I stress to people. Number one, when you get newly diagnosed, number one, nothing has changed about the person that has the diagnosis. They're still the same person they were before, right? Still same happy kid, still struggling, same struggling kid. Now you, you have a name to put to it, which may help and may not help. In this case, it does help now. When you and I were diagnosed, it didn't really help. Not at all. But now we have the resources of the other parents in one place. It does help. That, yes. that family group helps dramatically because now if your kid is 
not responding properly when you call their name, you can now say, I need to have his, his or her hearing checked, right? Whereas before you would just think, oh, maybe it's an autism thing, or maybe it's just the kid ignoring me. Yeah, that parental deafness does play a role. Exactly. Even now that he has hearing aids, it still plays a role. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And aside from the kid is the same, you're going to be different and you need to allow yourself to change. Because when you don't have a diagnosis, you're living on edge. When you do have a diagnosis, the edge is different. It's, it's the other side of that edge, right? Now it's, it has a name and it has a prognosis. I'm always grateful for the prognosis for KBG syndrome is as good as it is. The KBG syndrome diagnosis actually was the one that made me go. Yeah. <laughs> because my fear was he was going to have one of those catastrophic epilepsy syndromes. We have no idea where this journey is going to take us. And my journey is way different than your journey and anybody else's journey. Right. Which is why I'm glad that we've been able to put together not a guide, but an informational packet so that you know what to expect now that you have this diagnosis. Where it kind of just opens up your eyes, kind of explains a little bit more to everybody, to you, what you have now been dealt, now that it has a name. You already knew what you were dealt. Now you just know that it has a name and these are the things that you can be looking for. Right, what Marla's talking about is our newly diagnosed packet. <laughs> it's been out on the, on the website now for I think uh, five years. Yeah, 2017. Um, for five years, it can help. It puts a, a few things in perspective. But I think the most important part of this packet is the time that we spent building the what specialists you need to see. And we'll post this at the end of this video. It's not just, excuse me, what specialist you should see, but what specialist you might want to see, because not everybody is going to need to do that back to the spectrum, right? Not everybody is going to have to go see these doctors, but if you do, this is the specialist and this is why in KBG syndrome, most people have to go see the specialist. Yes. And it's also good if you're, we reached a point with Jordan that I'm like, okay, well, we've had no heart stuff. I don't think he's having any kind of seizures, but I did go and I did seek out a neurologist and a cardiologist to get those baselines and just to confirm that there were no seizures going on because I only had in my head one kind of seizure. I didn't know there were silent seizures. I didn't know there were all these other seizures. And the, the neurologist was awesome and explained it all to me, told me what to look for, but also shared with me, which is also important that everybody knows that kids that have any cognitive delays, they are at a higher incidence for seizures. So it may not ever be epilepsy, but he could have been experiencing seizures that I didn't even know. And that was very helpful to learn about other seizures and how to spot them. And why would I think him zoning out would be a seizure of any kind? Right. I had no clue. 
Now, they don't think that any of that was happening because I couldn't even confirm it. I couldn't say that this is what was happening. But knowing that information was very helpful. And the cardiologist having a, a baseline, even though there were no heart, what was the word? Uh, when, there, uh, when things aren't right, deformities. I don't know, malformation, whatever it was. He didn't have any of that, but he still gave me information. And that was important. So this is, I need to drive home, especially Marla. Jordan is as functional as he is because of your advocacy, because you didn't back down. Now, I, I look back at our journey with Bug and I think there were times when I did back down. I knew something was going on. And, but everybody would tell me, oh, well, you're just being really hard on the kid. I had doctors tell me I didn't talk to my kid enough. And that's why he wasn't talking. Oh, well, mine was not hungry. So, right. So, I mean, I cannot stress enough that as a parent, you know, your child best. And if you feel like there is something wrong, you, you shouldn't feel like you can't say, I think there's something wrong. I think that there's something we need to investigate and we need to teach our medical professionals to stop saying, well, you're a first time parent, right? Stop. Because even if you're not a first time parent, they still seem to think you're a first time <laughs> yeah, parent. parent. Well, it's just, it, you know, kids sometimes do that. They, they develop it at different rates. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. They do. But at right. what point, how bad does it have to get for you to now say, okay, maybe this is different. Maybe this right. is excessive. I, I get that there are parents that, that are um, a little hypervigilant. Um, but that doesn't mean that you shove every, every concern aside because you have one out of 10 parents that thinks they see something that isn't there. Right. Um, I literally felt like I was making stuff up. I felt like maybe they were right. Maybe I'm imagining things. Maybe I am. I mean, the the most current was the, the tethered cord syndrome. I mean, I had doctors look me in the face and tell me, no, he doesn't have one. And, and I would go to the pathology report, the radiology report and go, but it says that it's it's a possibility. It literally says this. And, and they would go, well, I don't, I don't know. We can do more tests. I'm like, okay, fine. Let's do more tests. And then his neurologist, I took him in and his neurologist sent me an email saying he doesn't have the tethered cord. And I said, well, we need to see you about the seizures anyway. So we take him in and he goes, let me do a little test because I, I talked about the presentation that bug had for tethered cord syndrome, right? What led me to the point where I thought he had it? And I had three doctors at this point tell me that it wasn't worth investigating, but it just nagged at me. He was classic presentation for it. So the doctor took a little cotton swab, one of the sticks, not the little one, the big ones. Like, <laughs> where are you going to go with that? <laughs> right? And he broke it in half and he lifted Bug's shirt up and he touched him at the, between the shoulder blades and bug winced. And then he touched him a little bit lower and bug winced. And then he touched him just below midline and bug didn't move. 
at and all. That was the indicator to so, him. So then he went lower. Bug didn't move at all. Yeah. So he went, okay, I think you need to rule this out. And I went, hmm, okay. <laughs> right. This was only five years ago, four, four years ago. This was only four years ago. He's 15. You can't say mom's imagining things when everything that I've brought to a doctor has been diagnosed. Right. Right. Every diagnosis that bug has, and this is not me grandstanding, but every diagnosis he has is because I didn't give up because Glenn and I had conversations and we both agreed we're going to take this possibility to the doctor. Yep. And this is what people need to do. They need to get that confidence in their parenting ability. We need to not question them uh, unless there's a massive red flag. But just having a question is not a red flag. Right. And that's one of the things that I hope uh, we as a, as a group on Facebook can foster into everybody is the questions and the follow-ups. You know, we, we all have different stories, but they all end up in the same place. They all end up at the doctor. They all end up with, you got your diagnosis. Now, how do you fix it? How do I figure out why Jordan can't count? How are we going to make him count? How are we going to make him do the alphabet? Why can't he remember? Let me tell you, the kid reads, he counts. His occupational therapist, which shows you, I don't really know what an occupational therapist does, figured out how to get him to read and to count and to know his letters. So we don't know everything, but follow that gut instinct that you have. And that is probably the most important part in realizing that it's okay, that they're not okay. And being strong for them, that's how I, felt like I dealt with the diagnosis when we got it. Laughed, cried, looked at him and thought, okay, still have that appointment. <laughs> Doesn't change. Now I can just tell everybody, did you ever hear of it? Go look it up. Yeah, go look it up. Yeah. And then we talk about it and they're like, oh, that's very rare. So <laughs> yeah, it is. Now what? And here it is. How many years later? He was diagnosed in 2014. Eight years later, guess what? They still don't know anybody else who has that diagnosis. So I'm still the only one in the doctors that we see. The only good thing is we see less doctors now because it is what it is. They, there's nothing for them to treat. So we see less, even though we're still living with all those diagnoses. Would you say, Marla, that it does get better? Yes, because I don't know what got better. I don't think he's being diagnosed with as many things now as he was. So that part is better. The way I deal with everything is better. So the whole picture is better, but he still has KBG and that's okay. And that's where I think I've learned to live with, it's okay that we have a rare disease because I've learned about it. And I'm willing to share all of our experiences. And I know I'm not alone. And that, that is just so important because I was so alone in 2014. He was the only one in the world at that point. 
you know, to me, there was nobody else, <laughs> but we have company. Yeah. yeah. And I, I treasure that company. And, and, and that's just the most important thing in knowing that I've done everything I can for him and I'm still doing everything I can for him. And he's happy. I've learned how to deal with behavior. My behavior, his behavior, our family's behavior. That's the hardest part I think to deal with is the behavior piece. But that was my experience. That's not everybody else's experience. I don't care that he has hearing loss. I can't fix it, but I can fix our behaviors. So that's, that's my story <laughs> on being diagnosed and how we dealt with it. Yeah, it is, it is a shock. It, regardless of how long you wait for a diagnosis, it's a yeah. shock to finally get one. And you do go through the grieving cycle, right? You grieve for the child you thought you had. And um, the child you're not going to have. You're not going to have. Um, no. But then you, you recognize that you have this kid that is, is yours, first and foremost. And has bad moments and has good moments, but is still the center of everything you do. That's it's funny you say that because yesterday I said to Jordan, I showed him some pictures of when he was younger and I'm like, I miss this. I go, I need you to relax. I need you to smile. I need you to think that things are funny. I need you to be playful. And he goes, I was a kid. <laughs> and he was and, and he, he still is even though he's 20 but I think that I just long for I long for that because now everything is more serious and he's an adult yeah and I I'm thrilled that he's an adult but I just want him to look at me and smile and laugh and I want to be his number one with everything that I've accomplished. And that's also right now very hard for me. You know, there's my, my down is that he is so used to me fixing everything that I don't feel like he appreciates it. I know he does, but I want him to make me like, oh, mom fixed this. It's never going to happen. Yeah. That's never gonna happen. Never gonna happen. The um, yeah. I'm I'm always grateful that Bug did grow out of his behavioral issues, because his behavioral issues weren't bad. When you talk about, you think that behavior is the, the toughest part of living with KBG syndrome, but all of that went away over time. All of that improved over time, and like you said earlier, my ability to deal with it improved over time. Yes, that was the biggest part. Not just because he got better, but because I got better at accepting mm -hmm. his limitations and my limitations. Right. Yes. And I'm a very strong medicine person. So yeah. <laughs> and I never was. Right. We we got into a different routine with him of yes. the distraction. And and it wasn't just we have to have a regimented routine because that never worked for him. The routine I'm talking about is the routine that worked better for him. There was no, there was no reasoning with bug. You cannot reason with them. Most KBG kids, you cannot reason with them. 
especially you, in the moment. Right, right. That's where what you respond with is so important. Right. Because I'm, I, I, Glenn and I are bug safety. He's safe with us. And he knows that. And that's the single most important thing to me is that he knows that when he's in our home, he is surrounded by affection and by acceptance. Yes. What you do at school, I can't control. I really can't. I right. try to make sure that people toe the line there. These are things that when you have a diagnosis, they don't change. Right. You're still going to experience all the good stuff and the bad stuff. Hopefully having the diagnosis can mitigate some of the really bad stuff. Since we've had a diagnosis, bugs, quality of life has improved dramatically. And it's all because he had the diagnosis. It did change his life. And that, and that came about because of the families, not the doctors. Oh, the absolutely. families that shared their experience that pointed me in the right direction, that pointed us into solving some problems that couldn't be solved before because someone went before us. So being comfortable with the diagnosis is very important. Allow yourself time to get comfortable with the diagnosis. And then you, and then you can move forward. Sometimes it, it, it doesn't matter if you only take a half a step because you're still gaining momentum. You're still moving forward. You're not stagnating and wallowing. And that's the important part. I thank all of you very much for joining us and hearing our stories and hope that you've taken away something that will fit in your world. And you know what? We're here for you. The whole foundation is here for you. Our Facebook is all here for you. Post the things that are important that you don't know, that you want to talk about. Everybody out there has a story and everybody wants to talk about it. So share your experiences and listen to others' experiences. So until next time, thank you very much. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.